You know what the problem with pride is? Is that the person suffering with it doesn't realize it. It's almost like being in the junior high room and trying to convince those kids that they have BO. They're like, like, <laughs> it's like, it doesn't stink in here. I don't know what the problem is. And, and with pride, it, it's everybody else's fault, isn't it? And we've got a choice to make from God's word, from the text this evening, to be humbled or to be exalted. If we walk in pride, we're going to be humbled. But if we walk in humility, we're going to be exalted. What Jesus is observing is there's a feast, there's a party, and people are coming in to take the best seats. They're wanting to exalt themselves. And that's where we pick up tonight in verse 7 of Luke 14. So he told a parable to those who were invited when he noted how they chose the best places, saying to them, there's a part of us. Our sinful flesh where we want to be recognized, don't we? We want to have that social status. If we do a hard day's work, we want to be noticed. Social media really plays on this. As we post the the good things in our lives, we're really looking for that recognition. This is not just about being able to see better. This is all about social status. This is all about being thought well of. Do we want to be thought well of by your family and by your friends and to be exalted? There's something in us where we long to be exalted. Once we start down that track, the next thing that comes is we're going to start comparing. Because in order to be exalted, you have to compare. Well, how am I doing to the person next to me? Well, maybe I'm doing a little bit better. So then that means that I should get recognized. Well, I'm not doing as good as the person sitting next to me. And then that leads to condemnation. Paul warned about this and he said, for we do not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves. That's a mouthful. But they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. As soon as we start playing the comparison game, it's not wise. As soon as we start going down this road of, I needed to be recognized, I need to be acknowledged. I need to be exalted. It's a dangerous path. In verse 8, when you're invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him come and say to you, give place to this man, and then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit down in the lowest place, So that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So Jesus says, take the lower position. When you're at this wedding feast, don't take the best seat, lest you get humbled. But take the seat of humility, and then... Whoever put on the party will say, hey, you come and take the better seat. But this is a way of life, this teaching of Christ to take the lowly position of service. Let's look at verse 11. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. This word exalt means to lift up. If we lift up ourselves, we're going to be humbled. Are you the hero of every story? Are we the type of person where the conversation and someone's sharing their experience and you're like, well, well, there was that one time when I went fishing. 
and you caught a fish this big, but man, I caught a fish this big. Uh, You caught six? Well, (laughs) we caught 16, right? (laughs) It could even be bad news. Someone could be sharing, well, I had knee surgery and the difficulty was really difficult. Well, back in 1967, I had both of my knees replaced. And let me tell you, you got nothing to complain about, sucker. I mean, you want to see the scars? I'll show you the scars. It's like, no matter what the conversation is, it always comes back to ourselves and we look pretty good, right? And we exalt ourselves. And Jesus says, be careful. If, If you exalt yourself, then you're going to be humbled. God in his love for us, he will humble us. And this word humble, it means to be put low, to be put low. But in turn, if we humble ourselves, he who humbles himself will be exalted. If we choose to serve instead of wanting to be served, if we put ourselves in that lower position, to say, I want to honor God and honor this person that the Lord has put in front of me and esteem them better than myself, then God is going to exalt us. God is going to lift us up. So if we put ourselves low through lowly service, genuine lowly service, then God will exalt us. He'll lift us up in his time for his glory. We won't be in a place of like, it's all about me, but this is the Lord. The Lord has done this and the Lord receives praise and he receives glory. If you'll notice in verse 11, it's a choice. It's a choice to exalt yourself or to humble yourself. We get to choose this. Through the teaching of scripture tonight, I hope that you'll see the clear path of what it means to humble yourself and the clear path of what it means to exalt yourself. So we're going to look at a couple other sections of scripture If you would jump with me over to James chapter 4, James chapter 4, then we're going to go to Philippians 2, and we're going to end in Daniel 4. But James chapter 4, James really gives us a practical expression of what it means to walk in humility. James 4 verse 6, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. This phrase, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble, is also found in 1 Peter chapter 5 and also in the book of Proverbs. So we have it in Proverbs, we have it in Peter, we have it in James. God resists the proud. Another expression of being prideful is exalting yourself. So when we're walking in this independence from God and relying on our own strength, And wanting to receive the glory, God is going to resist this pathway of pride. He loves us enough to say, I don't want you to continue in pride. The scriptures tell us that a haughty spirit comes before a fall and pride comes before destruction. When pride enters into our hearts, it's going to lead to destruction. A lot of other sins have their center in pride. If I am not dependent upon the Lord, I'm going to fall to temptation much easier. Peter was in a place of pride, wasn't he? Even if these guys deny you, I will never deny you. And Jesus says, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. If we're in that place where we think and we declare, oh, I will never do that, look out. We're setting the stage for us to fall in pride. God resists the proud but he gives grace to the humble. Don't you love grace? 
I mean, grace is so good. What is grace? When we're busted and we deserve punishment and judgment, correction, that God instead lavishes unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor upon us. Grace. That's how we're saved. We deserved hell. We deserved punishment. But God in his grace gave us his son. And when we believe in Jesus, we receive the forgiveness of sin. You can't come into the kingdom of God without humility. It takes humility to understand I'm a sinner and I need a savior and I cannot save myself. Grace came into your life as a believer as you humbled yourself. And grace continues to come into our lives when we humble ourselves. When we go to God, God, I can't do this. I need strength from you. I'm facing this in my marriage. I need you to guide me, change me, direct me. Lord, you are the ultimate provider. And you've called me to work hard, but I'm trusting in your provision. I can't do this on my own strength. Would you help me in my work? That, that's humility. A very practical expression of humility is prayer. When I'm not praying, I'm being prideful. I'm saying to God, I got this. But humility is saying, Lord, I need your help. It's prayer. And as we cry out to the Lord in prayer, then he gives grace to the humble. And these next few verses really show us how to humble ourselves. What does it mean to humble ourselves? Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. To submit to God is to come under God's leadership. And when we're prideful, we don't feel the need to come under God's leadership. But humility says, God, I'm ready to submit to you. I've accepted your leadership. I'm not in any way an animal expert or will claim to be an animal lover. If you need to find another church, I understand. I, I tolerate animals, but I do enjoy our dog. And I could tell with our dog and each dog that we've had, when that dog accepts your leadership, right? In our Newfoundland, she's our second Newfoundland, our, our first uh, passed away. And her name's Quinn, and she's almost four years old. And I'm the alpha dog to her. Like, she'll misbehave when she's around the kids, but I walk in the room and she's like, okay, I'm going to be good, right? She's, she's accepted my, my leadership. Not always perfectly, and I'm not always the perfect leader for her either, but she's accepted my leadership. And have we accepted God's leadership? Is God like, Eric, I'm kind of tired of getting the choke chain out on you. Like, when are you going to learn this? When are you going to submit to me? And humility is to submit to God. To make ourselves low is to submit to God. Another expression of humility is draw near to God and he will draw near to you. What an amazing promise. That's good 24-7, 365 days a year to every generation. If you'll draw near to God, the creator of the universe, he will draw near to you. Humility is saying, I want to draw near to God. God, I want to be in relationship with you. I'm going to invest in spending time in the word. I'm going to invest and come out on a Wednesday night. God, I'm going to worship you. I'm going to draw near to you. And then he responds and he draw near, draws near to us. It simply takes one step from us and God is quick to do the rest. We turn to God and say, God, I'm drawing near to you. And he runs to us. And he's faithful to his promise to draw near to us goes on, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning 
and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. One of the ways we humble ourselves that we walk in this pathway of making ourselves low is being broken over our sin. As we come to the communion table tonight to say, Lord, would you forgive me of my pride? God, would you forgive me of my anger? Would you forgive me of my my lust, my my bitterness? And not just quickly pass that off, but to, to weep and mourn, be broken before our Father and say, Lord, I know I've hurt your heart and I've hurt others. And and God, would you forgive me? That's humbling ourselves before him. And thankfully, as we confess our sin, he's faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But pride doesn't confess sin. Pride doesn't think we've done anything wrong. Pride has blind spots. Pride makes excuses. But humility owns it before God and humbles ourselves before the Lord. This is the pathway of making ourselves low in regards to our relationship with God. And I think that's where humility begins, is when we're walking in humility before God. And the fear of the Lord flows out of this, this respect and honor of God being in his proper position. And when we're in a place of humility before God, this helps us to be in a place of humility before people. And that's what we see in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 really encourages us in this pathway of humility in regards to serving others. So start first in humbling ourselves in our relationship with God, and then take this position of humility in our relationships. Philippians 2 verse 1 says, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy. These are rhetorical statements. It's an obvious yes. Is there comfort in Christ? Yes. Is there comfort in love? Yes. Is there fellowship of the Spirit? Yes. Is there affection and mercy? Yes. Fulfill my joy being like-minded on the same page, having the same love, the same passion, being of one accord, instruments in harmony, of one mind, the mind of Christ. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. So here we have this desire to want to exalt ourselves, selfish ambition, and we're encouraged through scripture, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. When there's selfishness, there's every evil thing. What's the damage to relationships? Selfishness. What destroys marriage? You may say adultery. Definitely true, but what is adultery? It's an act of selfishness, right? So selfishness destroys relationships. It's that pathway of pride. It's the opposite of humility. So instead of selfishness, this lowliness of mind, it's humility of mind, Do I think myself to be better than others? Like in a sense that I'm above serving this this person. And the biblical answer should be no. That we're to have this mind of humility that says, you're in fact greater than me, and it's my joy to be able to serve you and to think about your needs. There's people that we respect and we really look up to that if we had the opportunity to help them or spend time with them, we'd be like, yes, absolutely, right? Because we esteem them 
to have value. And what God would declare to us is that everyone should be esteemed with value. And part of this humility where we're aware of our own sin is we go, man, it's my privilege and honor to be able to care for your needs and to esteem you better than myself. Easier said than done. In verse 4, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. It's not a condemnation to care for your own needs. Yeah, look out for your interests, but don't just look out for your interests, but look out for the interests of others. Isn't it fun to spend time with people that genuinely ask good questions and they want to know the answer? How was your day? Really, I want to know how, how your day was. Or what, what things have you been enjoying? Or what some of the challenges that you have been going through? That's a way of caring for someone else's interests. Inside of our family relationship, we tend to know, or hopefully we know, what our family likes and what their needs are, and to be able to serve them to go, how do I bless my spouse today? How do I bless my, my kids today? And I might not necessarily want to do this, this might not be the thing that I would desire to do when I come home after a long day, but man, this, this would really bless my son. He would really enjoy this. I'm looking at their interests. I'm looking at their, their needs and their wants and their desires and taking that position of service. And if you're like, I didn't sign up for that, hang on, because we're going to look at the example of Christ in the next few verses. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Jesus had this lowly mindset, this mindset of humility to esteem others better than himself. When Jesus walked into a room, he's like, how do I serve those that are here? Washing the disciples' feet. He didn't come to be served, but to serve and to lay down his life as a ransom for many. So if you're wondering, how did Jesus go through his life thinking? He went through his life going, how can I serve others? What is it that people need that I am with right now? Who being in the form of God, he's God. Three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, Jesus is God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. He's equal with the Father, equal with the Holy Spirit, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Jesus in his desire to serve us to the point of being our savior, humbled himself and came in the form of a bondservant, made himself of no reputation. If you were to hang out with Jesus as a carpenter, he would not have this reputation of social status. I'm sure he did excellent work as a carpenter, but he was a humble guy from a humble place, Bethlehem, serving in a humble profession as a carpenter, made himself of no reputation, coming in the likeness of men, God in human flesh. And we're saying, I don't know if I can do the dishes. I don't really feel like it. Or I don't know if I can listen to them. Or I don't know if I can take this position of humility in the workplace. And Jesus, who's God, comes in human flesh. And words can't really describe this. This is why the angels are rejoicing, because they know Jesus in his glory, and they see Jesus born in Bethlehem, placed in a manger, 
Maybe he's seven pounds. Maybe he's six and a half pounds. Maybe Jesus was really big and he was an eight pound baby. But God as an eight pounder, God as a seven pounder, from every indication, Mary was probably a teenager. That's when women would get married. The creator of the universe entrusted his very being to a teen mom, right? That's humility. First time mom, she didn't have this figured out. He came as a bondservant coming in the likeness of men. Bondservant means slave by choice. He chose to lay himself down as a servant. Humility continues, service continues. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. He humbled himself. There we see that word. He was brought low. He made himself low. He came in the appearance of man, but he didn't stop there. He went to the cross and was despised upon the cross, rejected upon the cross, brutalized upon the cross. That's to the degree that Jesus made himself low and he humbled himself. So if we're struggling in this path of humility, if we're struggling to humble ourselves, to take the lowly position, we have to look at the example of Christ and then ask Jesus to help us. Jesus, you live inside of me, so help me to serve. Jesus, would you help crucify this selfishness inside of me and help me to serve my family, serve believers, serve, serve unbelievers. And notice the exaltation that comes to Jesus. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. No greater exaltation. The Father exalts the Son. Some acknowledge Jesus in this life resulting in salvation. Unfortunately, some will not acknowledge Jesus until they stand before him in the great right throne judgment and then it's too late. But imagine this. Every tongue that's ever created, every person that's ever existed is going to confess that Jesus is Lord and bow before him. This great exaltation of Christ. So you guys ready for a bad example? Let's go to Daniel chapter 4 and let's look at Nebuchadnezzar. James 4, Philippians 2 gives us the pathway of humility. Daniel 4 gives us the path of exalting ourselves, the path of pride. Matthew 4, verse 20, or excuse me, Daniel 4, verse 28. Daniel 4, verse 28. And this came upon King Nebi, King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking around the royal palace of Babylon. The king spoke, saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling? by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty. Just out taking a walk in the palace of Babylon. Babylon is the dominating world empire. He is the most powerful man on the planet. And he begins to pat himself on the back and says, I have built this. I've built this royal dwelling by my power 
for the honor of my majesty. This didn't settle too good with the Lord. When we get to this place where we think we've accomplished something, that we have built something, God spoke to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy and says he's the one who gives us power to get wealth. So God gives us the talent, he gives us the ability, he gives us the health, he gives us the opportunity. We can't dare claim it for ourselves. You say, well, I worked hard. I worked so hard and this is my money. Watch out. You might be hanging out with Nebuchadnezzar, right? Because the truth is, well, God gave you the talent. God gave you the health. God gave you the opportunity. So God should receive the glory. In verse 31, while the words were still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. Boom, just like that. The scary thing about God humbling is sometimes he does it really quickly. He'll let you walk in pride. He'll let you walk in pride, be patient with you, wait for us to humble ourselves. And then he's like, all right, here comes the humiliation. Here comes the humble pie. It reminds me of Herod in the book of Acts. They begin to ascribe to Herod that this is the voice of God and not the voice of a man. And Herod does not correct them. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him because he didn't give glory to God and he was eaten by worms and died. I wish we had the YouTube video of this. I know this is gross, but here he is taking glory that belongs to God and God sends these worms and eats him from the inside out. As these words are in King Nebuchadnezzar's mouth, God humbles him in verse 32, and they will drive you from men and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen. Seven times shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. Nebuchadnezzar, you're going to be like a beast in the field. You're going to lose your mind. And for seven years, you're just going to wander out in the pasture till you understand that God rules. You don't rule. God rules. And he gives kingdoms to whoever he chooses. That very hour, the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men and ate grass like oxen, and his body was wet with dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. If you pulled up on Nebuchadnezzar, you'd be frightened at this point. He's out of his mind. His fingernails are grown out like claws. His hair is like eagle's feathers. Verse 34, and at the end of the time, this seven seasons, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. One of the most humbling things that can happen to us is to lose our minds. And Nebuchadnezzar went out of his mind, and then God restored his mental state His understanding returned to him, and he realized that God had given him his mental health back. And he blessed the Most High, and he praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven 
and among the inhabitants of the earth, no one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? Doesn't this sound like a humble man? Doesn't this sound like a broken man? Where now he understands God's power, God's goodness, God's the one who had blessed him. God restores him in verse 36. At the same time, my reason returned to me and for the glory of my kingdom, my honor, my splendor returned to me. My counselors and my nobles restored, resorted to me. I was restored to my kingdom and I, excellent majesty was added to me. This is only the Lord. Think about if you went out of your mind for seven years and were like an animal out in the field and you came back to your right mind, do you think your boss would invite you back? I can tell you I wouldn't have my job back, right? If I went out of my mind for seven years, I think my pastoring would be done, right? So this was God's working. This was God's grace that allowed for Nebuchadnezzar to be restored to his position. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all of whose works are true and his ways just. And here we have the testimony of Nebuchadnezzar. And those who walk in pride, he's able to put down. I think we should trust Nebi, don't you? It's been true that experience is the best teacher. But why does it always have to be our experience? We could learn this from Nebuchadnezzar. If we walk in a way of exalting ourselves, thinking that we've done it, that we're a self-made man, that we're a self-made woman, God will humble us. He loves us enough to humble us. But if we humble ourselves, if we walk in James 4, I'm going to submit to God. God, I want to come underneath your leadership. God, I want to draw near to you. Would you cleanse me? I'm going to confess my sin to you. I'm going to honestly humble myself before you. That's why it's so healthy to get on our knees before the Lord, to put our bodies in the position that our heart is in. God, I'm, I'm humbling myself before you. To walk in a lifestyle of James 4, being humble before the Lord. To walk in Philippians 2, Lord, you were a servant. You lived your life as a servant. Do we see ourselves as a, as a servant? Pride will manifest itself in entitlement. If you feel like you're entitled to certain things in relationships, that's pride. I'm entitled to these things at work because I've put in all of this time, that's pride. A servant is one who says, I'm willing to love God and love people, no strings attached. Lord, I'm walking Attempting to walk in Philippians chapter 2, that's humility. Contrast that with Nebuchadnezzar. Well, that's the pathway of pride. Humbled or exalted. God has the ability to humble and exalt. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Would you stand with me and let's pray together. Father, we want to walk in your truth. We know your truth sets us free. We want this to be more than just an academic study, but would you transform and change our hearts? And as we take communion tonight, we want to humble ourselves before you, draw near to you, submit to you, confess our sin to you. And Lord, we want to take the lowly position in life 
the lowly position in our families, the, the lowly position amongst the body of Christ, the lowly position in the workplace. You, Jesus, came as a suffering servant, not concerned with your own needs, but concerned with the needs of others, and we cannot do this apart from you. So would you fill us with your Holy Spirit? And Lord, where there's pride in our hearts, where there's this desire to be exalted, would you reveal that? We want to turn away from that tonight.